I'd like to start tonight just briefly with uh, Hebrews 11.32. You don't need to look for it because we'll be moving on to Judges quickly. But in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, it says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. This is from the New Testament and refers back to people in the Old Testament. And I've come across way too many Christians in my life that are New Testament Christians only. And they just have zero interest in the Old Testament. But that doesn't make any sense at all when you see the Old Testament constantly referred to in the New. And here in Hebrews 11.32, it brings up one, one person after another. And the first one it mentions is Gideon, and that is going to be our subject tonight. So if you would turn to Judges, please. We will be doing Judges 6 and 7 and the story of Gideon. And that's my preface. I will now do my introduction. The book of Judges speaks of the ups and downs of Israel. We see Israel doing evil things, not obeying God. And then God begins his cleanup. And then they go back towards evil and disobeying. And then God begins his cleanup and brings them a judge. That's what the book of Judges is all about. And if we begin in Judges chapter 6 verse 1, this is the story of Gideon. And it begins with, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And this happens repeatedly, especially in this book. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. The word Midian means judgment, which fits right in here because God is using Midian against Israel after Israel has done what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Midian is a descendant of Abraham, through the wife Heturah. This is mentioned in Genesis 25, verse 2. And the area of Midian is actually south of Edom, Moab, and Ammon. And let me give you a rough idea. If this is the Mediterranean, and here is Israel, Sea of Galilee, Ammon, uh, Moab and Edom goes to the south. The Midianites are actually way down here. And we're going to see Midian being sufficiently strong that they exerted their influence up through Israel. So you see that that's quite a bit of territory to cover. It's not like the Midians are subtribe from over the hill. They are quite a large and powerful group. Verse 2 and the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens 
that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. We saw this in 1 Samuel chapter 13 when the Israelites were again running from the Philistines that were attacking them and they ran to the mountains and the caves. These are more defensible grounds. It's easier to defend yourself from high grounds. This is a basic concept of Sun Tzu and the art of war, if you happen to be familiar with that. Sun Tzu argues that you should always try to adopt the high ground. That could mean geographically the high ground, because it's easier to be above anyone attacking you for the purpose of defense and in the purpose of attacking. And it's also true morally, that you need to have the moral high ground if you expect to have success, especially after victory, and, and be able to carry on with your victory and, and have it be profitable. So Israel, as a general rule, does go to the high grounds, to the mountains and caves for defense. And in this case, that's where they went to defend themselves against Midian. Verse 3, for whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza. That takes you all the way to the ocean, to the Mediterranean Sea. And leave no sustenance for Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. So basically they just took all their stuff and they waited till harvest time to do that because that's when you can take advantage of that. And by taking their stuff at harvest time, you leave them with nothing for many, many months to come. It's a great way to intimidate people. Just take their food. For when they come up with their livestock and their tents, they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted, so that they laid waste the land that they came in. Verse 6, And Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. And here is another example, I've said it many times from the pulpit, of dark to see light. We see darkness here. We see Israel doing evil in the sight of the Lord. We see Israel having their food taken from them, their ox, their donkeys, their sheep. They're in bad shape. They are certainly in darkness. And God is going to use this darkness to show himself off. The Midianites are numerous. They are strong. And they are hostile to Israel. That's my introduction. And that sets the stage for God. And with verse 7, we have God coming on the scene. And we are about to see God become more obvious. In Judges chapter 6, verse 7. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, notice the Israelites here realized they couldn't handle things by themselves. That's why they're crying for help. They need help from God because they're in big trouble. Verse 8, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Notice God does all the acting here. God takes all the credit, as he should. Israel is the fortunate recipient of God's grace 
in giving Israel all the wonderful blessings. Verse 10 says, And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. And in this, God lays out his case against Israel. You have not obeyed my voice after all I've done for you. And it's the case of Israel's darkness. We can certainly do application here because we can remember how God works in us many times. We run to God when we're in trouble. And we need valleys and we need storms in our life to remind us to know who we run to. Valleys vary in depth. Storms vary in intensity. But in many cases, they are needed for God to teach us a lesson. And one of the most common lessons to know is that God is with us in our valley. And Israel, in this case, is in a storm. And that storm is the Midianites. Verse 11 is the call of Gideon. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under Terebinth, that's a tree, at Orphah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Now the winepress is used for wine and grapes, but Gideon is hiding in the winepress and using the cover to be able to beat the wheat. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Says this to Gideon while he's hiding in the winepress. This is generally considered a Christophany. This is Jesus showing up in one of his forms in the Old Testament when he says, The Lord is with you. And you can imagine Gideon having been told this, hearing the Lord is with you, and Gideon would look to the left and look to the right, and it's just you and me here. I guess that makes you the Lord. But man of valor, that gets a little more difficult to understand. I have seen preachers. For that matter, Jim and I worked for one out in L.A., and uh, he used to talk about Gideon and make Gideon into a big coward. And in doing so, try to show how God would work on a coward. But if we put real life on this, if someone was shooting a gun at you and you ducked, does that make you a coward? If you've got the Midianites over the hill and they have you thoroughly outnumbered and are hostile to you, does beating out the wheat in a wine press just kind of make sense? I don't know that there's cowardice to this. It just seems like the smart way to handle yourself in diff difficult situations. So I'm reluctant to call Gideon a coward. I just think he's making the best of a bad situation, doing what he can. But the interesting part is the angel of the Lord, the Christophany, looks at him and calls him a man of valor. Now, where does this come from? And I'd like to offer a possible explanation. Take it for what you will. And with this, I have a visual aid. <laughs> if we look at that picture of this girl, we see this picture in two dimensions. We see height and we see a width. We can't see a depth to this because 
It's on a flat piece of paper. However, you, you know from past experience living life that there is depth in this situation where the picture was taken, but you can't see it in the picture. Your brain will work this in because the brain has a history and knows that there is a depth there and will imagine it for you. But I can prove there's no depth to it because all I have to do is turn it sideways. And there is no depth here at all. There's two visions where you look at this. Now, if we go out to a hillside and don't have to confine ourselves just to a picture, we can see three dimensions. We can see a length, a width, and we can see a depth on the hillside pretty easily. Most people can do this. That's why we have two eyes, and that allows us to see in three dimensions. But there is a fourth dimension, and that dimension is time. And I submit to you that because to God, as we heard last night in the men's group in 2 Peter 3.8, we do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Well, if you can see with time as a dimension just as well as you can length, width, and depth, then wouldn't it be something to look at a hillside and not only see it as it is now, but see it as it was 10 years ago at the same time, see it as it was 50 years ago at the same time, because you're not restricted by time. You can see in that fourth dimension. And then, of course, you can see it in the future, what that hill is going to look like 100 years from now. And I submit to you that that's the way... God can look because he's almighty. And the, the dimension of time is not an issue. So when he looks at Gideon, he can easily call him a mighty man of valor because when he's looking at Gideon, he's just as easily seeing what is to become of him in the great battles as he leads Israel. And to give another example of this, imagine seeing our pastor at the age of 12. If we could go back in history and see a young Jim McClarty, we would all probably smile pretty easily because we know that come age 61, he's going to be a terrific preacher. But the Jim McClarty we would see at age 12 was probably a 12-year-old with all the 12-year-old faults. And yet, we know where he's going to be at age 61 because we can see from that kind of vision and we know where he's heading. Well, God knows where Gideon is heading. He's not predicting it. He knows where he's heading because he can see the time. Verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hands of Midian. Notice this is in past tense. He has forsaken us, past tense. He has given us into the hands of Midian, past tense. There is a fear of the future coming, but he's saying this as if we're already in desperately bad shape now. The Lord has already forsaken us and has already given us into the hands of Midian. Verse 14. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the land of Midian. Do I not send you? 
And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. God chooses the weakest. And we've seen this happen repeatedly in the Bible, where God, in order to show his strength, will choose the weakest or the weak among us to show that it is God working through us. He says, I am the least in my father's house. So not only is the clan the weakest in Manasseh, but now Gideon says, I am the least in my father's house. That's weak times two. Dark to see light. This is a hopeless situation that Gideon sees himself in. This is not a man of valor. He is full of doubt and fear. Verse 16. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16 says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And yet, Gideon is about to test God. He is unsure, but God will show his mercy. Even though God knows quite well what Deuteronomy says about not putting God to the test. God's mercy can still show anyway when you head in that direction, if that is his desire. So here comes the test. Verse 17, and he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, the angel of the Lord said, I will stay till you return. Verse 19, so Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terabith and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the eleven cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the eleven cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. That's quite a blessing. We have God's word, thank God for that. But I've yet to see the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you, do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abizrites. Verse 25. That night, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal where your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. 
and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold there with stones laid out in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you should cut it down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. He had to do it by night because Gideon's faith is still a work in progress. He's not quite the man of valor yet. Verse 28, when the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down and the Asherah beside it was cut down. And the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die. For he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal, or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. And therefore on that day Gideon was called Jeroboam, that is to say, let Baal contend with him because he broke down his altar. Joash had sidestepped the fury of the mob by saying, if the God is really a God that you worship, the God should be able to take care of himself. And verse 33, now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. Evidently, the Midianites must have lacked some confidence also, because if the Midianites were truly that strong, why do they need allies? Best just to take all the glory for themselves. And yet they choose to bring allies with them. Verse 34, but the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abizrites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. And they sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, and they went up to meet them. A gathering of great forces getting ready for battle. And now we have the sign of the fleece. Then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, Behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. Oh, great, he's testing God again. May God be merciful. <laughs> if there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. Verse 38 says, And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. 
Gideon's going to test him for a third time. Gideon is a slow learner. Application, anyone? I won't point fingers. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only. And on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. And it was dry on the fleece only. And on all the ground there was dew. Now let's compare this testing with Luke 7. In Luke 7, chapter 1, it says, After Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal the servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent his friends, saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does this. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. But then those who had been sent returned to the house when they found the servant well. So the centurion is loaded with faith. He says to Jesus, just say the word. That's all that needs to be done. And yet Gideon is playing games with fleece. Gideon has a long way to go. Gideon's faith is quite weak in comparison. Judges 7. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him, rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. Notice Midianites are in the valley. That would mean Israel has taken the high ground. Good strategy. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hands saved me. Now stop and consider that. It says, The people with you are too many for me to give to the Midianites. God is in charge here. God is doing things, making things happen. Lest Israel boast over me, my own hands save me. And it is a truism. God will not allow a man to glorify himself in God's presence. You don't want to be in that position. When God needs praise, praise God. When God has done something, praise God. Verse 3. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned home, and 10,000 remained. 
a wise move because who wants to go to a war with somebody who might turn a run on you? Best to decide that right now who the runners are. And that was done early on. So 22,000 left, 10,000 remained. So let's do a head count. In Judges 8, we will be told that the Midianites and their allies brought 120,000 men with the sword. Here we had 22,000 go home, leaving 10. So over here with Israel, we start with 32,000. And God says, look, if you don't have a stomach for a fight, go home. And 22,000 said, that's me. I'll take that. So goodbye, 32,000. We're down to 10,000. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. 120,000 Midianites, 10,000 Israel. God says, too many of you. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. If any one of whom I say to you, this one shall go, he goes. This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue is a dog laps. In other words, getting right down in the water. You shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who just kneels down to drink and puts their hands to their mouths, in other words, scoop up some water and drink it that way, putting their hands to their mouths, there was 300 of them. All the rest of the 10,000 were down in the lake, gobbling up water. But 300 of them managed to kneel and just sip from their hand. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300. So the 9,700 again are sent home. Now we're down to 300. Goodbye to that. Goodbye to that. Now we have a battle of 120,000 against 300. And God says, now we're ready to rumble. <laughs> and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That is a violation of Sun Tzu. You want to be higher up. If you're higher up, you could win a rock fight. Just take rocks and toss them over the cliff. They'll, they'll bring up steam as they come downhill, and by the time they strike somebody, it's going to hurt. doesn't take much effort to be, as long as you're on high ground. Verse 9 says, That same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you're afraid to go down, if, Gideon, afraid, Mr. Let me test you, let me test you, let me test you, if he's afraid, if you are afraid to go down to the camp, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant. I'll let you take somebody with you. Verse 11, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay among the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number, 
as the sand that is in the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I have a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it down so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. Remember one of the main things that the Midianites were doing? They were taking the food. They were taking Israel's harvest. In other words, they're taking Israel's bread. And what's the dream about? A cake of barley bread tumbling into the camp. It all makes sense. I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given us the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet... I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Notice in this section from verse 15 to 18, he's not getting specific instructions. Nowhere here does it say the Lord said to divide into three groups and the Lord said to do with the trumpet. Evidently, Gideon has now taken a step or two up as a leader and as a general and he's giving his own instructions. Verse 19. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. By smashing the jars, the jars has, had covered up the lights. And by smashing the jars, all of a sudden, 300 Jars are broken, 300 lights come up, and the trumpets are blaring in the middle of the night. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches, and in their right the hands of the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets... The Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Bethshida toward Sehera, as far as the border of Abelmehola by Tabith. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. I looked at the Bible maps. And it would appear that the ground covered and the pursuit is in the area of 30 to 50 miles. Now, they're not in cars. Most of them aren't on horses. This is a foot battle over the course of 30 to 50 miles. This is quite a battle, and they're serious. Verse 24, Gideon sent messengers through all the hill country of Ephraim, 
and said, Come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out and they captured the waters as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. And they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. And they killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb. And Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. And they pursued Midian, and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. Now, just out of blind luck, I came across the Urban Dictionary that defines Zeb as a total and complete loser. Bam! <laughs> it's hard to work in the Urban Dictionary in a Bible study, but there you go, I did it. Judges 8 tells us that 120,000 men fought against the 300 of Gideon. There's no way Gideon can take credit for this. God was behind it. God was working through Gideon. It was God that led Gideon through this valley and through the struggle. And I'd like to wind up in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 tells us, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that has set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Look to Jesus. Just as sure as Jesus led Gideon through his valley, Jesus can lead you through your valley and through your storm. Look to Jesus. This is a story about what, can, what Jesus can do when Gideon is completely outnumbered in a situation that is just an absolutely no winnable situation. But as long as Jesus, as long as God is there, you have the power you need. And you're on the right side. So look to Jesus. That's what's on my mind tonight. Isn't that a good story? Yes. Yeah.